This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. The Jay Severin Show. I would say that I take my citizenship pretty seriously. I don't take myself very seriously, despite bombastic appearances to the contrary, which admittedly do form a pattern of over several years. But I take my citizenship pretty seriously on balance. I know you do too. I would regard, I've always regarded the choice that we have to make it, it's tremendously important <laughs> tremendously important i have just read something which has made more of an impression on me in the last several months of a national election of a presidential election. I've just read something that has made more of an impression on me for good or ill than anything in my life that I have seen reported on a candidate or a campaign or an issue. And I'm wrestling, even as we come to air, not with whether, but how, to share it with you. Stick with me through the theme song while I make a final decision, would you? Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. We are together. The Blaze Radio Network, 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. I must weigh the certain knowledge I have, certain knowledge, that Edgar Allan Poe reading to you is not going to excite you. Reading, even if done by someone who knows how, that by that I mean reading verbatim, something longer than a sentence or two over the air, is brutal. Brutal. It's not brutal to read. It's actually fun to read. It's a form of performance art to try and do it and, and, and make it interesting. But... It's generally <clears throat> brutal to hear when anybody is, is reading to you. I mean, unless, ironically, unless 
it isn't, in which case you're probably six years old or you remember it. And if you're lucky, you were read to. And some of the finest moments of my life have been when it was time for reading my own child to sleep. And uh, she actually wanted me in the room. (laughs) And when you're sitting there reading, Daddy, get me the moon, or the wheels on the bus, and you're singing off key, you know, but your 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 child, your children, don't care if you're singing off key. <clears throat> but but if I read off key, you will. So I'm struggling with this one because I am weighing my obligation not to be boring against the nearly certain fact that if I don't read this to you, a vast majority of us in this audience are not going to see it. Uh, It is an article in the current issue of the, forgive me, New Yorker magazine. Is it a hotbed of godless communists? Yes, which is why it's always been so damned entertaining. The New Yorker magazine has been home since its inception to the finest American writers. Every truly great American author, fiction and nonfiction, virtually every one of them, aspired to write and has written for the New Yorker magazine. Good luck trying to get something published in the New Yorker. If you are not familiar with the magazine, and <clears throat> as a native New Yorker, I grew up with it, you know, on, on, on my father's desk or on the coffee table, but somewhere would be the newspapers and would be then also the current issue of Time magazine. Can you imagine that? When magazines brought you the news, the current issue of Time magazine, the current issue of New Yorker magazine, and for laughs, uh, New York magazine. And and New York magazine is to to the New Yorker what the New York Post is to the New York Times. So if you want the quick, dirty, fun gossip read... New York Magazine is your man, your only man. But it's not that they don't have great writers. They haven't had great writers at uh, Write for New York. They have. But that's always been a kind of an unlikely thing. I suppose I'm already guilty. I probably should have shut up and just read to you the first 200 words of this piece because I, I could have done that by now. What I'm trying to say is the New Yorker is a notorious, infamous hotbed of godless communists who are the greatest writers in in America, in American literary history. And the author of this piece 
may or may not be or ever be, and all of that's debatable, and I don't know enough to know. And I'm not, you know, unless it's one of the top three or four names, I don't know. And I probably can't go as deep as three or four names, to tell you the truth. But what this article says, uh, it's entitled, Trump's Boswell Speaks. Now, I, who? Boswell. Yeah, well, uh, Boswell was a 17th, 18th, I think 18th century uh, British, I think a Scott uh, writer, known as, a, uh, as the definitive biographer. I mean, uh, and that's, I know, that's what, he, what, he, what he's famous for is having written that the what what's called the best biography written in the English language ever about his I think it was his contemporary Samuel Johnson but all of all of that aside there is an article in the July twenty fifth I believe it's the current ish, uh, issue of the New Yorker <clears throat> in which the ghost writer did you know this did you know that Donald Trump's book the art of the deal was ghost written? Well, it was. And if you look at the front cover, you don't think Donald Trump would put someone's name on the front cover other than Trump, uh, unless it had some reason to be there, right? And again, there's no sin here. A lot of books written by celebrities are not written by celebrities, they're written by ghostwriters. You know, they're at, as told to. You know, Muhammad Ali, my story, as told to Dick Schapp, you know, as told to Mike Lupica. So I'm not criticizing that. But I'm a little breathless still because I didn't. Right. I have to take a break. But uh, my child bride came over to me, which she generally doesn't do within an hour of airtime because I'm inundated and I'm going nuts and don't even the dogs won't come near me in the last hour, hour and a half before showtime. But she came over and she was white as a sheet. And she handed me this article and said, honey, sorry to bother you. I know what time it is. Uh, But, and she does know what time it is by the way, but she, she said, I'm aware of the time, but you'll want to see this if possible before you go on the air. She rarely g- gives me anything or, you know, anyway, uh, this is a stunning thing. And if it's true, it's going to make your political life and mine, and ours, a lot more difficult. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. 
okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And you are my partners, best and brightest. 1 888 Now, I know I'm already receiving tweets that say, oh, bashing Trump again, are we? I, I, depends on how you define bash. I, I will be critical of anybody because that's my right and my obligation, especially sitting in the seat I am privileged uh, to sit in. So, sure, I'll criticize Trump. I've spent a lifetime criticizing Clinton. I'm just trying to give you my impressions as I believe them truthful and as I grasp them. The New Yorker magazine you know, I've already, I'm sure I've already received tweets saying, you know, you want to, you know, scrape the bottom of the barrel, the New Yorker, you know, they may be geniuses, but they're not good Americans. And you know what? It's probably true too. Um, it's just that if you take the election seriously, your citizenship seriously, and I know you do, I know you do. Uh, some things kind of stick with you. Now you, you need to read this article. I don't think I, I don't try to sell you a lot of st- when I say sell, I mean, I don't sell you anything, but I, I don't try to sell you on, I'm not big on saying, you know, you, you, you must read this, you must see this, but this is the most impressive Negative, it's negative research is what it is, but that doesn't make it untrue. (laughs) It's negative research. It's yes, it's both. It's research and it's negative. But uh, unless and until I find out this is false, this is the most impressive piece about a candidate in the, in the final several months of a presidential campaign I've ever seen. And I can't do it justice because I can't read you the entire thing. I mean, I could, but you don't want that. You really don't. And, and I, and I'm going to make some underscorings uh, here, which I should have done on the initial reading, but that I find that interrupts me. So I like to read something first. I mean, the thing's got to be 10,000 words long. This is a magazine and it, you know, it's thing is like, eight pages long, but it read, you'll read it in about, you know, seven minutes. It's fascinating. Best and brightest. It's really troubling. Tony Schwartz is a recognized uh, writer, a journalist, award-winning journalist. And he claims to have had profound misgivings about accepting the job of writing The Art of the Deal. 
for, or if you want me to say with, Trump insists he wrote the book. Uh, There is a passage in this article that quotes one of the paragraphs of the book. Let me see if I can find it real quick. And let me see, because you know, you know, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't write, you know, you know, you know that Donald Trump would be incapable of writing this. All right. I can't, I can't find it right off the bat, but Tony Schwartz had misgivings, he claims. And given what he says in this article, I believe him because Donald Trump is, is going to do everything he can to make sure this guy swims with the fishes, at least uh, commercially speaking. I mean, talk about a guy who has come out against Trump, who knows him. And this is the major thing that I need you to know. Yes, it's the New Yorker. But the source is a recognized award-winning journalist. and A leftist? Absolutely. I'm not, please, I'm not trying to get around that. I wish I wish everything leftists said were as easily dismissible as saying, well, it's a left-wing source, so you don't have to believe it. No, they distort and they lie and they do other things, but in an article like this for a magazine like this, you don't lie. If you do, then probably probably we'll know about it. But the basis of the research for this book, The Art of the Deal, was that this guy lived with Trump. I want to find this. I did underscore this because it's really the key to everything. Okay. The proposal for the book deal, The Art of the Deal, is that ghostwriter Tony Schwartz would live with Donald Trump for 18 months. He proposed literally eavesdropping on Trump's life by going to the office with him every day, spending every weekend with him, following him around on the job, and most importantly, listening in on all of his office phone calls. Uh, Trump loved the idea, says Schwartz. And for every day for the next year and a half, Schwartz sat eight feet away from Trump in the Trump Tower office, listening on an extension phone line with Trump's permission. And Schwartz says that none of the bankers, lawyers, brokers, reporters, family members, anybody who called Trump realized they were being monitored. The calls usually didn't last long because, as Schwartz says, he has no attention span. There was not a single call that Trump deemed too private for Schwartz to eavesdrop. He loved the attention, Schwartz recalled. If if he could have had 300, uh, I'm sorry, 300,000 people listening in, he would have been even happier. There is no private Donald Trump. Now, that's, if you're saying, well, so what? Okay, fair enough. I'm not, I haven't given you any substance of criticism yet i'm just offering you the background on the basis on which this book was done this guy lived with trump for 18 months and i mean 
Think of it, a year and a half with a guy at your office sitting eight feet away every day, eating breakfast, lunch, and often dinner with you, and listening in to every single phone call Donald Trump makes or takes. Now, could the guy be an absolute schizoid liar? All things are possible. Do I think a anything remotely like a reasonable suspicion thus far in this is that this fellow Tony Schwartz is outright lying about all of these things and so is the author who wrote this for New York New Yorker magazine? No, I don't think that's remotely reasonable. And when we come back, I'll just have a few of the things he says he observed. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, please don't get me wrong. I'm voting for Donald Trump. I believe. I, you know what? I, I don't know about that qualifier. I mean, I don't see how I'm not. Because I don't see how I'm not voting. And again, I will ne- never, any exception, there's never been any question of exception. There is no question of exception. I would never do less than everything I can do as a citizen to stop Hillary Clinton by all legal methods from becoming president of the United States. So don't, you know, there is there is less than zero possibility that I will stay home or vote for Hillary. Where does that leave us? Okay, so I don't want you to doubt me. I don't want you to doubt my motives. I just want you to know everything I know. I also don't expect anything I share with you right now to be a smoking gun that you say, well, there you go. I can never vote for a guy like that. No, I don't expect that. There's nothing in here disqualifying in that way in this article. July 25th edition of the New Yorker magazine. You must. I'm begging you. You must read it. Is it available free online? I don't know. I should have checked that. I didn't have time. But there is something that makes up a person. And I think of you. I think of those of you that I've had the personal privilege of knowing personally. That we have over the years corresponded and talked on the phone and emailed and, and uh, you know, you know who you are. And... Would that I had 10 more years, you know, here to do that with you so I could know more of us personally. And I know that without exception that I can note, it matters to every one of you I know and to all of the rest of us whom I do not yet know personally, but with whom I've either spoken on the phone or uh, corresponded via Twitter, you know, I know that the kind of person someone is matters to you. And if you knew someone that you really believed to be either ludicrously unfit for an important job 
or to be a truly bad person, I think it would give you a problem to promote that person or give that person your vote. I'm not saying you wouldn't because ours is an imperfect process, isn't it? And it's the worst in the world except for any other, right? So I'm not saying what I have here is a smoking gun. But I am saying is if you read this article in the July 25th New Yorker, which is in in a sense an essay slash interview with Tony Schwartz who wrote The Art of the Deal. And, you know, Trump put his name on it. Uh, the story is told. If you read this to the extent that any evidence that does not include a singular smoking gun, like, you know, like Hillary killed Vince Foster. Okay, some people believe that. And if you believe that Hillary killed Vince Foster or had him killed, then I, I just it came to mind. I, I could use a lot of examples, but if, you know, if you believe that, if you knew now what you if if you knew if you if you then knew what you now know about Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton would, you know, would never have gotten elected or you know reelected. But what I'm saying is this story goes to that term that we often hear: the temperament of someone to be president. The kind of person that we might be electing. Compared to Hillary, no, no compare. There, as I said, there's no contest. Trump said something which uh, I hope we'll talk about today. Uh, Trump said that she's the devil. That's a quote. She's the devil. She is the devil, Trump said last night. I believe he's right. In any case, he said it. And I agree with him. So again, this is not comparative. Let me just share a few things with you. And again, don't wait for a smoking gun. There isn't one as such. It's a composite. It's a story. It's a pattern. It's an overall. And you must read the article to have the context. The problem, says Schwartz, was Trump's is Trump's personality, which he considers pathologically impulsive and self-centered. One of the things that this guy keeps saying throughout this interview essay is that the guy is exactly who he appears to be at his dumbest, most distracted moments off the teleprompter when he says really stupid things. And he does. He does say really stupid things. And I'm not including those things that if you were a politician, you'd know better. Or if you had better advice, you'd know better. I mean just things that you would never say, that I would never say. Even I would never say. He says stupid things. Not things you disagree with, stupid things. Okay. I put lipstick on a pig, Schwartz confesses. I feel a deep sense of remorse that I contributed to presenting Donald Trump, and he goes on to say, in a way that makes him seem in any way normal or sane. This guy lived with Trump for a year and a half every day, and he says the guy is not well. 
that the, the, the worst you've seen of Trump is the best of Trump. Quote, I genuinely believe that if Trump wins and gets the nuclear codes, there's an excellent possibility it will lead to the end of civilization. A smoking gun? No. A fact? No. Just an opinion from a left-winger who spent 20 hours a day with this guy, 18 hours a day for a year and a half. If he were writing The Art of the Deal today, Schwartz says, it would be a very different book with a very different title. Ask what he would call it today. He immediately answers, The Sociopath. Um, He planned to research Trump initially on a series of Saturday mornings. But as soon as they began to talk, the discussion was hobbled by what Schwartz calls one of Trump's most essential characteristics. Quote, he has no attention span. Fidgety, continuing to quote, like a kindergartner who literally cannot sit still in a seat. It is impossible to keep him focused, continuing to quote, it is impossible to keep him focused for more than a few seconds on any topic other than his own self-aggrandizement, and even then. If he had to be briefed on a crisis in the Situation Room, it's impossible to imagine him paying attention. Schwartz believes that Trump's short attention span has left him with a, quote, stunning level of superficial knowledge and ignorance. That's why he so prefers TV as his first news source, because the information comes in very short, digestible sound bites. I seriously doubt that Donald Trump has ever read a book straight through in his entire life. During his 18 months with Trump every day, Schwartz never saw a book in Trump's possession. He never saw one on Trump's desk. He never saw one in his apartment. He never saw one in his office. Never saw him reading one, despite traveling with him, long flights, long delays, car rides, traffic, everything. Never saw him, never saw him look at a book. Um, when he was asked, by the way, he was interviewed by some, some, somebody famous. Here it is. Megyn Kelly of Fox asked Trump to name his favorite book other than the Bible or the art of the deal. And Trump responded instantly, oh, all quiet on the Western Front, which was written in 1929. Right. Now, do, do okay, entirely possible. Do you think that that's Donald Trump's favorite book? And by the way, he claims it's the most recent book he's read. He hasn't read a book published after 1929, it is said here. So I've told you about the methodology, right? So he would be with him 18 hours a day, seven days a week for a year and a half. And I've talked to you a little bit about some of those circumstances. And I ended, I believe, uh, with the statement by this fellow at the end of 18 months, 
that after listening to every one of his telephone calls, without letting anybody know they were being monitored, on the record, by a guy writing a book, uh, he says, there is no private Donald Trump. Now, I have just a few other things, observations, I'd like to share with you. And, and, and again, I realize that doing this has the whiff of me bashing him, which is not, not my intention. And if you know me, and you do, you know that. But rather to share with you something I regard as honestly shocking. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, best and brightest. Sorry, best and brightest. I'm just going to run through these. And again, I apologize for many things. Um, My own inadequacies as of judgment in in doing this uh, because I I just can't give you, it's impossible to give you the, the flavor and the background and the feel of a long essay interview like this. Uh, But please try to read this rats has been kind enough to post it uh, on Twitter. Uh, let me just quickly, the few things I could underline since I finished the article a moment before our theme song, um, I finished with, there is no private Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, again, the guy who lived with him for 18 months, lying is second nature to him more than any human being I have ever met. Trump has the ability to convince himself that whatever he is saying at any given instant is true or sort of true or at least ought to be true, end quote. Uh, Trump lied strategically. He has a complete lack of conscience about it. Since most people are constrained by the truth, Trump's utter indifference to it gives him a strange kind of advantage. Whenever the thin veneer of Trump's vanity is challenged, he overreacts deeply, not an ideal quality in a head of state. This is Trump writing, Trump claims. I mean, this is is in the Trump book. Trump says he wrote it. Schwartz says Schwartz wrote it. Quote, I play to people's fantasies. People want to believe that something is the biggest and the greatest and the most spectacular. I call it truthful hyperbole. It's an innocent form of exaggeration, and it's a very effective form of promotion. Uh, Trump portrays himself, sorry. Oh, here's what I looked for earlier and couldn't find. The first line of the book, first paragraph of the book, The Art of the Deal, reads thusly. Quote, I don't do it for the money. That's the first line of the book. I don't do it for the money. It continues. I've got enough, much more than I'll ever need. I do it to do it. Deals are my art form. 
Other people paint beautifully on canvas or write wonderful poetry. I like making deals, preferably big ones. That's how I get my kicks. Now, I'm going to stop now. And uh, there, there are other examples, but I'm just going to say this to you. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to make up for my stopping by reading this again. Uh, deals are my art form. Other people paint beautifully on canvas or write wonderfully, uh, wonderful poetry. I like making deals. That is my art, preferably big deals. Have you ever heard Donald Trump string together words to construct an English sentence that ever sounded anything like that? Have you ever heard Donald Trump construct a series of words to compose an English sentence that really makes a lot of sense? Have you ever heard Donald Trump complete a sentence? Have you ever heard Donald Trump compose a sentence that makes sense to you and maybe link it to another one, like as many as two sentences in a row? Do you believe that what I just read to you was written by Donald Trump? But the point being made by the author in this article, and one with which I comply, or or, sorry, uh, concur, is that he couldn't have written this. It's not in his vocabulary. It's not possible. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. The New Yorker piece is an opinion piece. It's an essay. It's an op-ed piece, buttressed with many demonstrable and evident facts. You know what? When you've read it, and please spare me your opinion other than your opinion of me, for for sharing this with you. That's fair. I'm fair game. But please spare me your opinion about the article and what it says about Donald Trump and what it says to you, if anything, about Donald Trump until you've actually read the article. Okay? I'm fair game. The article becomes fair game for you once you've read it. Excelsior. My monologue is uncharacteristically brief. The payoff is big. Here's the monologue. Calendula, for whom I do not have a lot of patience today, because Calendula has said dumb things in tweets. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, in one of those tweets, the question put was, Are you really shocked by this information? 
my response to us all, to myself and to you is, am I shocked by this information? Firstly, I'm prepared to entertain the notion that none of it's true. It's an opinion piece. It's an op-ed piece. It is buttressed by evident facts. I'm a New Yorker. I lived in New York. I've met, spoken with Donald Trump at parties. You know, when people let their hair down, so to speak. Uh, You know, I I mean, guy's not a stranger to me. Okay, forget that I met him. Just imagine that you lived in New York and you read the New York Post every day during the entirety of Trump's public life. Every New Yorker knows Donald Trump far better than you do if you're not a New Yorker. Believe me. But I'm for all of this stuff rings true to me. None of this is new. So let me answer Kalendula's question. First of all, none of this so-called information is new. None of it. Secondly, the facts, the fact as opposed to the opinions expressed in this New Yorker piece are facts. They are true. I know them to be true. These are matters of public record. I lived through them. I commented on them on radio and television and in print for the New York Times, for the Washington Post, for Time Magazine, for U.S. News and World Report, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, PBS, I'm familiar with the the history, the facts. Thirdly, other than the facts, and this piece is not about the facts, it's not about history, otherwise, right, history is available to everybody. There's There's no big story in a recitation of historical facts. The historical facts are merely used to buttress and give context to the opinion expressed therein. Fourthly, I am prepared, as aforesaid, to entertain the notion that all of the opinions and impressions expressed by both Mr. Schwartz, the ghostwriter, and by the author of this article in New Yorker are fictitious. Not because I do I believe they're fictitious? No, I don't. I don't believe they are. But I must I must be prepared to believe that unless and until someone proves them to me. Because the opinion, the the opinion elements of this piece are not historical facts. They're opinion. So inherently fair as I am, judicious as I am, I'm prepared to entertain the notion that all of the opinions are misguided and wrong and badly motivated and they it, it's a hit piece and all of that. I'm just asking you to read it. Lastly, as to the principal and essential question that Calendula puts to me. Am I shocked by this information? Again, having put an asterisk next to the word information, am I shocked by it? No, not at all. Calendula, your question is your answer. Because I know Trump, because I'm a New Yorker, because I know Trump the way other New Yorkers do, and maybe a tiny bit better. Because of that, of course I'm not shocked. In fact, it is consistent in every possible element of my impression of Donald Trump. Am I shocked by it? No, I'm only shocked by one thing. 
that if I'm right, and that if this New Yorker piece does reflect the overall, this is a mini biography. You know what this is? This piece in about eight pages in the New Yorker is a mini biography. It's a contemporary snap mini biography of Donald Trump. And like all biographies, it is rife with biases. I admit that. Absolutely. I said it today at 3.08 Eastern, starting the show. Rife with biases. But, but, if overall the impressions presented by this piece are mostly accurate, then, Calendula, I am shocked. You know what I'm shocked by? I'm shocked by the fact that I would vote for such a person. That's my monologue. The payoff is rocky. He's next. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. And only on the Blaze Radio Network, our partners, and only on this show, the managing senior partner, uh, partner, partner, you see what I was doing there? Uh, You wanted Rocky, Rocky you got. I promised Rocky, you got Rocky. Rocky, my brother, welcome. My friend and brother. What up, baby? uh, a full disclosure, I haven't read the article yet, but uh, I don't disagree with it. Uh, no, listen, I, by the way, to be straight on this, I have no, first of all, it's not not my place to tell anybody what to talk about, talk about anything anybody wants to talk about. But in my, my view, in my estimation of of people's opinions, you can't talk about the article without having read it, just like everything else in life. You know, if it's a commercial, see the commercial, then get back to me. You know, read the piece. Then, but if you want to talk about something other than that, or if you want to stipulate, okay, I'll stipulate that what the article says is either true or untrue. Here's my comment. But what I what I what bugs me is people commenting on the article per se and the contents thereof right. without having read it. Right, right, and and I took that also as if I'm going to disagree and I haven't read the article, that's not fair. But everything that I've heard you mention about the article, I agree wholeheartedly. That's what I mean by, I'm, I'm up front, I want to say I haven't read it, but I haven't disagreed with one thing. Right, no, said. right. You know, and, all I'm saying you know is, in terms of my opinion, this is an op-ed piece, essentially. It's a it's a brilliant hit piece. It's, it's an op-ed piece, it's probably 10,000 words long, and all I'm saying is, the very worst, Rocky, the very worst impressions that I have, just me, Jay, the worst impressions that I have about Donald Trump's character and behavior and limitations, the very worst impressions, Rock, I have of those things are what this piece is all about. See, I'm not going to say the facts or the evidence. Someone just wrote to me and said, this confirms. It doesn't confirm anything. It alleges. You have to be fair on both sides. 
So uh, all I'm saying is it alleges these things. But if what it alleges is so, then it makes me sick. And and to to this point, for instance, you mentioned that uh, Trump, or they said that Trump doesn't construct uh, full sentences. I well, that's I said exactly. That. Yeah. Yes. But I totally agree with that because it makes him so defensible. He wants to be the standout of anti-PC, anti-establishment, because in most of us that feel that our rights are being taken away by the federal government, that's what we want to hear. And there are different levels of people that believe that. There are people who educate themselves and know why. And then there's others that just want to, you know, demonstrate and strike out. And Trumpsters, in my opinion, are that way. I you know what the irony is, to... Rock? It, the irony is it doesn't make them wrong. And it doesn't make no. Trump wrong. Because no. Trump is unable to explain anything so far that yeah. I could say. He can't complete a sentence. He can't tell you... I mean, there are two things about the triad answer when he was asking the debate. You are familiar with our triad defense system, right? The cornerstone of our national nuclear defense system. I'm a dope on the radio. I know that answer. Now, there are two, two dimensions of that that trouble you, Rocky, and me. One is the ignorance of not knowing. But the second one is I want a president who, if he doesn't know something, can... Spin it so that I don't know that he doesn't know it. And he doesn't have, he doesn't possess the verbal skills even to spin out of it. I I was just chatting with a friend on Twitter, and one of the things that I find to be in a person that tells that they're telling the truth is that they will stand up to conflict. For example, what Ted did when he spoke at, at Donald's, uh, at the last, what do I want to say, the RNC conference. When he spoke, the convention, in, yeah. he spoke out, yeah, he showed courage. He showed that he wasn't going along with the rest of the people. Uh, that's how I know he's honest. Uh, Donald, on the other hand, he speaks much like Obama to what he thinks that the people want to hear. And I just can't believe in him. And even though I don't believe in him, my weird worst fear, my friend, is that uh, people won't vote and that they're going to let Hillary Clinton take this election. That scares the hell out of me. I have good friends that say that they're not going to vote, and it, it just kills me. We, it is going to be a binary decision. I would bet $100,000 to anybody out there, if I could, that one of the things <laughs> is going to be POTUS, right? So why not try and influence that decision? Why let it go by? Your principles will mean nothing if you sit on your hands on election day. That scares me. I have a question well, for you that electorally, you answer it another time. Electorally, and that is to say mathematically, Rock, principles aside, uh, all these fanciful principles aside, mathematically, today my second of all my notes for today, the one that's number two is, does Trump need to trim his sales? And now again, it, that, that's has nothing to do with this article. But, you know, again, 
it's it's a scandal, quote unquote, scandal a day with something that Trump is saying or saying wrong or whatever. And what I really don't know, and I I find it frustrating. This is my business, you know, my life's business. And I can't yeah. tell you right now whether I think that Trump ought to try to trim his sales. I don't mean change. I just mean literally, you know, it's why I picked that metaphor. Just trim his sales just a little bit. Does he need to trim his sales also? Is he capable of that? I'm not sure at all that he is. In fact, I strongly suspect he's not capable of it. That's not a flaw. It's just maybe a fact if it is. And the other question is, does he need to? Would that that kill him or help him if he trimmed his sails? I don't know. I I don't know whether it would help him or hurt him, but I think it's more like the frog and the scorpion type tale, Jay. I think he's about crossing the he, stream. Yeah, he can't. He can't help it. It's it, it's him. He's a scorpion. It's in his nature. <laughs> it's in his nature. He can't stop it. I have a question to ask you that I'd like you to think about. I don't want to ask you right now for today. I, I kind of like this topic here, but I keep hearing this thing about uh, possibly Trump is, is like a plant, and that basically. He's going to do something and bow out and just let this thing go over to Hillary Clinton. Have you ever heard that theory? I have. Uh, in fact, I've, I've, men- I've mentioned it a couple times, um, very briefly, because obviously it's, it's, it's wildly speculative, but not to the point that we need to be embarrassed considering it. Uh, and I think for this reason, that's another reason I think this article is so important. I'm not talking, there's no smoking gun in this article. As I say, in this article, if there was a smoking gun, we would have, the story would have broken on the front page of the New York Times six months ago or 26 years ago. There's not a smoking gun in this New Yorker piece. What it is, is a snap bio. And, And if you read this and don't believe it, no big deal. If you read this, Rock, and you largely say if it resonates with you and you say you know this kind of for me for me this may not be evidence but it kind of confirms my worst suspicions about about this guy if you're thinking that trump is capable of that kind of character or character flaw then the notion that he hates more than anything in the world Rock, what does what does Trump look down on, disdain, and despise more than anything in the world? Uh, seems kind of like weakness and losing. I mean, thank you, I, thank I'm you, honey. Good. You both got it at the same instant. Losing, <laughs> losers, not winning. What what's a fate worse than death? Being a loser, okay. Right. And if you believe that that's in that that is an inherent piece of Trump's makeup. And then you say to me, Rock says to me, what about this notion that if Trump has a serious doubt about whether he'll win, that sometime soon after Labor Day, or you know, that's getting to be pretty close now, isn't it? That's about, it's about 27 yeah. days. But, you know, some sometime in the in the 96, I think, 97 days left, sure. that he'll find yeah. a way to bow out because of business, family, some yarn, right. you know, so that he doesn't have to lose. I mean, that's right. part A. 
Part B is, and right. could that have been arranged from the beginning? Because you used the word plant. I take it that's what you're in, insinuating. Right. Of course, the, the definition of winning has to be examined here because, I mean, if he gets himself to where he's got every favor from the from uh, Killary, then he may be winning in the business aspect that he actually loves more than politics. Bang. His heart Bang. doesn't always seem into this. I mean, define winning and losing. And no, I think that is, definition? that is a great observation, and it is a great observation. Uh, both the premise and your answer, I think, are sterling, uh, because you're right. It does need to be examined, and good, good on you. And secondly, once examined, uh, it seems to me the compelling or one of the compelling answers is, uh, okay, having defined win and lose, the guy's going to be worth 50 times what he's worth as a result of running. And then as a result, if the worst of this wild theory is true, and he actually, you know, always kind of winked and nodded and and hands it to Hillary, bows out, then he's going to be a thousand times because of his relationship with the Clintons. I mean, anything is possible, right? Yep. Love you, my friend. I uh, Love you back. I don't know Call where, soon. I know I you know will. Where. See, uh, see yep. you later on uh, however we do it. Um, folks, uh, look, I'm not wed to this article. I'm wed to the notion that I can get you to read it. Please. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is... Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, we have, uh, that was a great call from Rock. We have another great call coming up right now from Scott in Boston. But before I do that, I want you to know the single most important thing that happened today is, is, is not this article that I've been talking about. It, it may be the single most important thing in the election, uh, but it, the most important news item of today is that they're, they're actually, it's almost a tie for first. But here's what I'm going to call first place. Barack Hussein Obama did something today that no American president has ever done. Now, there are many, many are the days on which I could say that and be factually correct. Barack Hussein Obama has done many things on many days that no American president has ever done because all other American presidents were Americans who believed in America and believed in their oaths to greater or lesser degrees, but no one remotely came close to not honoring the oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, let alone was that domestic enemy of the Constitution. Obama today did something, again today, did Obama do something no president has ever done, and it is one of the most vile 
shameful, sickening things, even in the context of politics, that is imaginable. If you have not seen it or heard it, you will, no matter what news source uh, you uh, patronize in the next few hours. Not only did he say what I'm about to tell you, but where did he say it? In a joint press conference with a fellow head of state. In a joint press conference with a fellow head of state. The President of the United States said Donald Trump, and it doesn't matter that it's Trump. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter when it is. It it doesn't matter which president it was. Only it does. I mean, Obama said today in a, a press conference with a fellow head of state, he urinated on our flag, our system, our precedent, our history, our country, our citizenry, uh, on diplomacy, on fairness, on the office of president, on everything. Obama said today, I think it was his second answer, he said, Donald Trump is unfit, well, this is a quote, quote, Donald Trump is unfit and woefully unprepared for the job of President of the United States. See, Obama can think that, and doubtless Obama does think that. But to say that, to use a press conference, a diplomatic, the most big D diplomatic settings to which a president uh, takes part, in which he takes part, the meeting with another head of state, and he insinuates into that partisan politics of any kind, even if it's politely said, but to stand up there and say, to name someone and say, Joe Smith, you know, your name here, or in this case, Donald Trump, is unfit to be president of the United States and then go on to give a rambling series of illustration uh, illustrations in his mind as to why Trump is unfit. Obama sounded like that article, portions of which I read to you, that I'm begging you to read in The New Yorker. The difference is one is an op-ed piece in The New Yorker and the other one is the president of the United States appearing before the media and the world meeting with a fellow head of state that immediately insinuates into that. I don't care if this had been president Pat Buchanan and, 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 and president Buchanan attacked a liberal. It would have been just as vile, but see, I can say that because I know Pat Buchanan would never ever, ever think of doing such a thing because he has too much respect for the office. But Obama doesn't, not being American, not being pro-American, not being, I'm sorry, being a domestic enemy of the Constitution of the United States. Barack insane. Obama had no problem getting up in a meeting with a fellow head of state and insinuating the most bitter, negative, attack, partisan politics like it was a talk show. Hey, we're a talk show. I'm proud of it. 
I'm not president of the United States. For you kids listening in, you know, Uncle Jay is not going to be president of anything. So don't don't worry, don't cry, don't get upset. Except this piece of dirt is president of the United States. Much to our historical and other woes. Can you believe that even Obama would do this? That Obama would, in a in this setting, stand up and name a political uh, uh, adversary and say they're unfit for the office? Who does that? I have an answer. I won't leave you hanging. Nobody, nobody ever has. Nobody ever has. And for the sake of this republic, one hopes no one ever again will. It was the single most shameful thing other than the last shameful thing that Obama has done, that a president in this regard, with words, the most hateful, spiteful, harmful, vile, disgusting, disrespectful, unpatriotic, anti-patriotic, seditious thing, politically speaking, a president could ever do is what Obama did today. It is literally sickening what he did. Other than that, I have no strong feelings on the matter, and I'm willing to keep uh, an open mind. The second thing Obama did uh, today, which now that I think about it, really is a really close second. You know what Obama said about migrants, about the refugees, right? About how we're hateful, racist, bigot, sons of bitches, because we would question you know, whether radical Muslims, Islamists, enemies, people who want to kill us, such have already been here and already killed us, right? I mean, do, I, do I correctly recall this? Uh, such has already happened numerous times. Okay, but we're the bastards, and Obama says, especially because we're stupid bastards, because we have such exquisite vetting processes in place that no one who's an enemy to this country could ever get in. Ignoring history and sanity in so saying. You know what Obama did today? He granted 8,000 illegal Syrian immigrants, 8,000 Syrian refugee migrant illegal immigrants with a stroke of the pen today made them legal. 8,000 without vetting, without identity, without knowing their names, without the ability to track them once they're here, in the fullest of ignorance and the fullest of anti-American behavior. Obama today said to 8,000 now and forever unknown Syrians, all of them Muslim, to what degree or another? I don't know. You don't know. I'll never know. You'll never know. Until, inevitably, some of them start killing some of the rest of us, as, again, has already happened on a number of occasions, because we never had in place a vetting process. We don't have in place a vetting process. And after using it as a political bludgeon, 
to smear his political adversaries, Barack Obama today, without without a press conference, without a word, with a wink of the eye, grants 8,000 Syrian Muslims of one stripe or another permanent residence in, well, in a country that he has no particular allegiance to, the United States of America. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Scott, I am sorry that I blabbed and took away from a substantial portion of what ought to have been your condo, uh, your radio condo here. Welcome back, my friend. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. No, hey, I apologize, too. I've been tired of you for the show lately. I'm developing a habit of trying to call in every 10 days or so, but I don't pick up the phone until 440. I'm out doing other things. (laughs) That makes you not taddy, but re-taddy. Right, right. Um, briefly, I know we've moved on from the Trump article. Um, I have a couple things to say beyond that. But no, I we've never, know- are you kidding me? We've never moved on from anything. Yeah. Right, sure, right. right. Uh, I only heard part of the reading, and you saw I tweeted you real quick about, you know, that it was 30 years ago, and I do want to read it. So, so could you refer me yeah. real quick where I find it? Oh, uh, well, well, Rance posted it, uh, so I take it it's available and it's free. But what it is is a uh, Jane Meyer piece. It's uh, Jane and then M-A-Y-E-R. That's the authoress. And okay. the uh, name of the article is Trump's Boswell Speaks. Let me see. If I can make sure I have that right. Uh, it's the Trump's Boswell, B-O-S-W-E-L-L. Trump's Boswell Speaks. Uh uh, I've given you the author, and it's yeah, on the July twenty fifth yeah. edition of the New Yorker, and and again, it's breathtaking. It's not. Rich wrote a minute ago. It's game changing. I don't know if he was if he was being facetious or not. The reason it's not game changing is there's no smoking gun. There's no new fact. It's a it's a snap bio. It's an op ed piece essentially, but it's breath it's breathtaking. Sure, eye-opening. Certainly get your attention and say, wait a minute, let's yeah. maybe look behind the curtains a little more here. Yeah, and I don't mean thus change your mind, Scotty. I mean, you know, just know what you're buying. All this is, you know what this is? This is at worst, at best or worst, the listing of the ingredients on the side of the box. Sure. And I see what is getting late in the hour, so I just want to get one point out here. Cause, sure. Uh, this is yeah. off, not off topic. We're always on topic here, right? So, well, we're always uh, off topic, which makes off, it fun. You know, <laughs> yes, it's all fair game. So uh, the new poll today, which I don't put water in it yet because it's so far out, but has Hillary up. Uh, she got a nice bump off the uh, DNC. I find this very interesting. I like to play a little poker and gamble on the side, Jay. So I'm always on some of these sites. And I look at the lines. You know, you got baseball lines. Right. You got this. A lot right. of these sites to do politics now. And right now, the the Las Vegas line for who will win the presidency, which party? They don't name people. I don't know why. Right. Uh, candidates. They say Republican Party or Democrat Party. And the Republican Party, uh, excuse me, the Democrat Party is minus 220. And for those who don't know what that means, that means in order to win $100, one would have to risk 220. 
if you put 100 on the Republican, <clears throat> that would take back 180, uh, risk 100 to make 180. I just find that they're almost saying there's I already have a migraine because I don't under I, I am mathematically <laughs> challenged. So well, I can't think me, in those in those terms. So what does it, it. mean? Me tell me. me yes. Tell me like if I were a five year old and I know okay. it's giving me the benefit of the, of okay. the doubt. But if I were yep. five, tell me what Fair it enough. means. Basically, Vegas, who uh, they're not in the business of giving away money. Those no, no, I understand. Yeah. No, so I understand what all that. Is they have Hillary is almost a two to one favorite, meaning very likely to win. Not the polls have it almost a coin flip, right? 50 percent to 49 or 53. Yeah, I mean, unless you believe these these crappy polls that tell you there's been a 16 point swing in the last five right. days, which I don't believe. And we'll we'll talk more about tomorrow. But the guy who does this. And he used to do it for the Times. I can't at the moment. I'm I'm blanking on his name. Young guy, uh, and he he does this now with sports. He's left the New York Times. He does it with sports, and he does this sort of thing. And uh, he very quietly, people are panicked or elated about this. About four or five days ago, this kid gave Trump or the Republicans, as you say, a 55 percent chance of winning the election. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That flies in the face of what the Vegas line is. I mean, this, these lines are pretty tight. The, the, this isn't yeah, well, as you say, they're not in the business of, I always go with the people who you know are winning or losing money because they can't afford to screw around. The only possible explanation I'd have for it, Scott, is that this is still remains a business where people think they know things, which is fine, I think I know things, and I can be wrong, but at least I'm wrong based on what I ought to be looking at. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. At least my third base coach tells me he's about to throw you a curveball. All right? At least I know the curveball is coming. <laughs> and, and in this, if you're looking at national polls, you're, you, you think that he said that the guy's going to throw you a knuckler because the, the national polls don't matter. It's the state-by-state state swing polls. It's really Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania that are going to make this whole thing. Yeah, and they just what the line really is. is the uh, Scott, countdown. sorry, we're in the okay. we're in the hard the hard leave countdown. I got five seconds. Please call back if you can as soon as possible. We'll put you back. See you tomorrow, everybody. Seven on the Blaze Radio Network.